I'm going to start with this today. It's John 1, 1 through 5, and I'm just going to read it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And is that not good? How many times in my life have I read that? I'm just, every time I'm like, oh, in case you're new to church, the word that's Jesus Christ. It's talking about how the Jesus has always been there. He was always with God and he came. He's, oh, everything was created for him and through them. And I read that this week and I knew, I just, I just knew I had to start with that today, with Jesus Christ. I think, I think Nikki even said that, make it about Jesus today, right? All the songs made it about Jesus today. Everything seemed to fit into this today. So if you're new and you're wondering what this church is about, that's it. This church is about the Word. It's about Jesus Christ. That really the whole story of the Bible is all about the coming of Jesus Christ, Him bringing salvation and the fact that He's going to return again. It's what our faith is about. It's what our church is about. That Christ was, that Christ is, and that Christ is right now the light and the darkness until He comes again and makes all things new. And I think that reminder for us today, just starting with that, just being reminded of that is, is more relevant today because of what we're covering, as, as Tony said. So if you haven't been with us, we're coming into our final stretch of our We Are the Church series. I think we have two more weeks. If you were here from the beginning, I kind of said, I don't know how long we're going to go. Um, I didn't, honestly, I didn't think we were going to go nine weeks to start because next week will be nine weeks. I think we're finishing at nine weeks. Brandon, right? Probably, maybe. Um, and I'm really excited to get back into Exodus. Do you know, like when we get back into Exodus, like we're, we're going to be right at the plagues, like right when the, the Exodus just takes off and all the action starts, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get back to Exodus. But we're coming into the final stretch of this series. And it's too long, if you haven't been with us, for me to recap the whole thing. But basically what we've been looking at in this series is what, what is the church, but what does it mean to be the church? particularly in a culture that just, for a lot of us um, just seems to have gone crazy. And so the point is like, not only what does it look like to be the church, how can we reflect Christ, but how can we see everything through the lens of holiness and not through the lens of our culture? When I say see it through the lens of holiness, see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, the word. Because so often now it seems like our faith is being defined by what our culture says instead of how we view culture being defined by what our faith says. So the series is really about riding the ship. How can we let our faith determine everything about what we believe and how we operate and even how we see culture? In the end, the easy way to say that is how do we really see everything through a Christian worldview? And the answer is remembering Jesus. I mean, like, it's more complicated than that, right? But that's it. Remembering that he is what this is about becomes extremely relevant in a topic like racial reconciliation. Listen, I... You may disagree with this, but I don't know if there's a topic with more varying opinions, more passion, more division, more frustration, more disagreements, and more pain than that of race in our country right now. I mean, the whole world, if you, if you look at news sites around the world, the whole world is watching how we are or aren't handling race well right now. It is so controversial, because here's the truth, even in our church, and I, listen, I believe we're a church, like the vast majority of you want to see racial reconciliation. You want to be a part of that. Like we have a loving church that wants to be a part of the solution. But even in our church, I bet if I went and asked a hundred different members, how do, you, how do you view racial reconciliation? How do you view race in our country? And what do you think the solutions are? I bet I'd get 30 or 40 different answers. It's just all over the place. Right? So one, have patience with me today. But two, I, I think something's happened, and I don't mean necessarily this part, just, just in our church, but even among church people, with, with social media and the 24-hour news cycle and constant articles out there about what you should believe, and then all these books, and, and honestly, most of them having nothing to do with what the Bible teaches in a lot of ways at all, so many people in our country now feel like they're experts on this. If not experts, they got a lot of the answers, and their answers are really, really important, and their answers are the solution. Is that not true? It's like everywhere I go, everybody has the solution. Everybody knows the right answer. Everybody's opinion is the right opinion. So many experts, despite the fact that it just seems to be getting worse, not better. You know, one of my friends, one of my best friends, one of my friends that I grew up with, um, is an urban missionary. You might not know what that was if we didn't have Denny and Paula, right, to explain it to us often. He's actually a farmer. In the city. 
Some of you know them. Some of you have heard this story, but very, a very short version is they started this big farm right in the middle of the city in Dallas, in one of the most impoverished areas, honestly, in the entire United States, but definitely one of the most impoverished areas in Dallas. And their goal was to give people opportunity to disciple, to restore dignity, to build really strong relationships, build a family there, and to help people move out of unhealthy environments into healthy environments. Like They were there to help restore families. And ultimately, their goal, their ministry, is to point people to Jesus and see the kingdom of God come. That's why they're there. And since this area was a major food desert, right? You know what a food desert means? It means there's no good food around. There's no, there's no supermarkets or grocery stores anywhere close. So people are, like a lot of people are just going to the gas station every day to get their food. It's not a good way to live, right? And so the need in this community was food. And so they started this gigantic farm. And what's great about it is they take people from the community, disciple them, get to know people coming out of jail, people from addiction, people that have been in lifelong poverty, and they give them jobs on the farm, have them work on the farm together. And so it's the community providing for the community. It's the community empowering the community. It's, it's people from the neighborhood taking food to their neighbors and trying to lift up the whole community together. It's this beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And this area is not only impoverished, it also happens to be almost exclusively black. It is a black community. And the reason I say that is that's relevant today because, you know, Springfield, I don't know if you know this, is one of the whitest cities in America. And so I don't, feel, I, I don't want us to hide from the fact that we are a mostly, not completely, but mostly white church. And so when we talk about racial reconciliation, um, we're going to view it from the perspective that we come from, right? That's just who, that's just who we are as a church, and we're going to fight from this. We've got to be honest where we come from. So I just want you to see the dichotomy because my friend is white, but he's been investing in this community for a long time. And you know what he said to me the other day when we were talking about, we were talking about racial reconciliation? He said, you know what? I've worked for at least 60 hours a week in this community for eight years. I have built deep deep relationship with people, and I have walked through every possible scenario with them. Listen, if you heard some of the stories, you wouldn't believe some of the things that he's walked through with people. It's crazy. He said, I've done life with people here. They have become my family. And you know what I've discovered after all of those times and all of those, in all of those relationships? I am still an infant when it comes to truly understanding black culture. He doesn't think he's an expert. He'll tell you very quickly, I, I don't have all the answers, not, not even close to understanding all the differences between, not just black and white, but between all the different cultures that we find in our country. It's one of the most beautiful things about our country, isn't it? People come from all over the world and they bring their culture, the best of their culture here, and we get to enjoy the fruit of that. But it does create some like, gaps, like some misunderstandings, some not understanding things fully. And, and here's the thing, we talked about this too, here's the thing, we see all these theories out there all these philosophies trying to tell us what the problem is. All of these experts. We see philosophies like critical race theory and intersectionality, if you've ever heard of those terms. I'm not going to get into them deeply today, but there's a lot of those kind of terms, a lot of those kind of philosophies, a lot of kind of experts that are teaching us things on that. But the problem with these things is they talk, and I don't know if you know much about them, but they talk so much about what divides us rather than what unites us. I'm not saying everything in all of those theories is bad or evil or wrong, but so much of it is about how divided we are, about how we, we can't really understand, about how I can't really understand you and you can't really understand me. And listen, even if you try to understand me, which you should try to understand me, in the long run, in some ways you're actually wasting your time because you just can't know what you don't know. Like that's a phrase, you just, you, d you don't know what you don't know. And so it's almost like, well, we can't really understand each other because you're just not going to know what you don't know. So try, let's try to understand each other, but listen, but don't try too hard. So you better speak up, everybody, it doesn't matter, white, black, Asian, whatever, wherever you come from, you better speak up, but don't you dare say the wrong thing. Use your voice, but don't try to speak for my voice. Your tribe can't really understand my tribe. So, so you should try to understand, but in the end, you'll never truly bridge that gap because we're all so different. Oh, and by the way, if you're wrong, you're done. I'm finished with you. That's where we've come, right? When it comes to racism or perceived racism or even defining racism in a different way than someone else defines it, well, that's the, unfor the unforgivable sin now in our culture. I'm just done with you, if, even if you view this differently, even if you're a loving person. Listen, I know that's not our church, at least not for the most part, but that's what we're dealing with in our culture right now. And I'm going to talk about another pastor later that's been highly involved with this. But when I asked my buddy on these things, and in the end, he's not, like he said, he's not an expert. I just asked him. He's been engaged in this fight for a very long time. He's given so much of his life to this. 
He said on the ground, those theories, that they, they sound good on paper, but I've seen some people adopt them. I've seen some people in my community where I invest adopt them, and on the ground, they're not helpful at all. It just creates more division. It just creates more reason for us to be separated. It just creates this idea that we can't bridge gaps and we can't come together, even though I've seen that be true again and again and again. So I asked him what he thought the answer was. And he said, after eight years of doing this, it's become more clear to me now than it ever has been. The answer is simply Jesus. He, says, like, he said, listen, I've seen it. Nothing else has hope of working. Nothing. But why is it the only thing that has hope of working? And why, why do I feel like I'm, I may be oversimplifying it and just saying Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get there. Because as I said from the beginning of this series, if you were with us, if you haven't heard the, the first, especially the first three or four weeks, please go back and listen to it. As I said from the beginning, this series is not about getting to every little part of every debate out there. We just can't do it. The, the thing that we can do is, is kind of try to rebuild, reestablish our foundation in the Word of God so that we might stand really strong on the truth, stand strong in our faith as the culture bombards us with things that, listen, just simply don't align with Scripture or the Word at all. Not at all. So today we're just going to try to realign. We're going to try to rebuild the foundation, or at least if we don't need to rebuild it, strengthen the foundation, because there, in the end, there's only one true way to deal with the things that divide us. There's only one true way to, to reconciliation, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why I started with what I started with today, just to remind, He is our hope. He was, He is, and always will be. So we need to look to Him. We need to look to the Word. And if that feels like an oversimplification, I get that, but... I'm going to try to share why I don't think it, think it is through the Word. And so if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 2. Now, I made fun of myself last week for saying this. It's true this week. This top five chapters in the Bible for me. That's true. I'm not, no hyperbole, no exaggeration. Verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians 2 have been unbelievably influenced, influential in my life, in my walk. So... Um, let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 together. Just highlight it. If you haven't highlighted, just highlight the whole thing. And you were dead in the tres- and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's, who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. It's sitting here. You were following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's the wrath of God, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love at which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I just love that line. What does that even mean? Oh my goodness, it's so good. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, it's so good. And I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm going to try to sum up all the unbelievable truth in those 10 verses in one paragraph. It's painful, right? I want to spend so much time here. But do you really know what that, that, in the end what that's saying? That no matter what, no matter what your background, no matter what your culture, no matter what your race, we are all on completely equal level ground with each other. Right Before Christ, we're not only lost, we're not only dead in our sin, we're not only incapable of escaping the penalty of them, but we're literally following Satan, what he would have for us. It's not saying that you're all Satan worshipers. It's saying if you're not following God, Satan is the one influencing, leading you away, deceiving you, trying to get you to do something other than what God would have you do. And not only that, but we are under the terrifying wrath of God. Like by our very nature, we are sinning against him. We are rebelling against him. And God has wrath for sin. We are slaves to our passions. We are condemned and bound for hell. And we have no hope. That is the bad news that we find in scripture. 
Listen, without Jesus Christ in your life, without him being your savior, your redeemer, your Lord, this is the situation that you're in. The Bible makes no bones about it. Right? Everybody in our culture wants to talk about that God is love, but someone who has real love is also a person of justice. And this is justice because we have all rebelled against God over and over if we're just a little bit honest. This is the bad news. And then two, most, two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God. I just love it. But God, being rich in mercy. But God, because of the great way that he loved us. Because, but God, because of his riches and kindness to us in grace. Because of his great love for us, he made us alive together in Christ. And here, man, this is why it's, this is why it's so beautiful. This is like, you can't, like I, I say all the time, you can't understand how good the good news is without the bad news. Here's the good news. It's not, it's not because of all the good that you've done. And maybe more importantly, it's not prevented by all the bad that you've done, all the evil that you've committed, but by the plan of the Father, through the sacrifice of the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God breathed life into our dead bodies. God breathed life into our dead souls, and he made us alive. And it was a fully a gift of grace, not by your doing. No one can boast. No one can be superior. No one can think they're better than anyone else because God breathed the life into you. One of my other favorite passages, the 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. This church is what puts every person on the planet on equal footing, on equal ground. We are all lost to our sin and saved only by God's free gift to us of grace in Christ. No bragging, no superiority, no self-righteousness. We are united in our need for Jesus. But it's not just that he saved us. It's not just that he breathed life into us. He's promised us so much more than that. Keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, right, because of what 1 through 10 just said, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So if this, if this is kind of new to you, let me explain it quickly what's going on here. A long time ago in the Old Testament, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make some covenants with you. I'm going to make some promises with you. That's what the covenants is talking about here, promises. And he said, not only, Abraham, am I going to make a huge people group out of your family, from your very own son, I'm going to make this huge people group, but that people group are going to be my people. They're going to call me God, and I'm going to call them my people, and I'm going to bless them. And not only that, through them, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to bless every nation on earth. And that was a promise of Jesus, who actually came through the line of Abraham. Right? God's own people. And so, what did Abraham's family, when they turned into this huge people group, what did they become known as? The Israelites, right? The Jews, the Hebrews. This is the Jewish people. And so it talks about circumcision and uncircumcision. Circumcision was an outward sign, a physical sign of an in, inward truth. The inward truth was that they were God's very own people. The outward sign of that, the physical sign of this covenant that God made with his people and that they made with God was circumcision. So circumcision represented being Jewish and uncircumcision represented being a Gentile. And a Gentile just means not Jewish. Like I think, like I've said before, I think everybody in this room, or at least almost all of us, are Gentiles. So what it's talking about in Ephesians 2.11 is geared at us. So what, what was it saying? It's saying that you Gentiles, remember that you were once not my people. Right? You were, you were separated from the blessings of the covenant that were made with Abraham. All of those promises. You were not truly my family. And so as we talked, as we talked about a second ago in verses 1 through 10, listen, because of that, they were without hope. But how does verse 13 start? But now. So in verse 4, we got the bad news, and then we got, got but God. And then in verse 13, it starts with, we get the bad news in 11 and 12, but then it says, but now in Christ. So read the rest of verse 13 with me. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once, you who once were far off, have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Listen, I want, I want you to understand something if you don't know the history here. The gap between Jews and Gentiles at this time was enormous. It was just enormous. Culturally, religiously, socioeconomically, socially, racially, their worldviews were completely at odds in almost every way. In many, cases, in many cases, there was absolutely, there was racism and hatred between them because there had been wars for, for years. And they looked at the Romans as Gentiles and the Romans had conquered them, right? The Jews and the Gentiles were at odds. And the Jews had been God's very own people. They had been his people. And the Old Testament communicates that clearly. You are my people for more than two for more than two thousand years. Can you imagine that as a Jewish person? Like we get caught up in being Americans and how we're 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 God's people in America and all this stuff. Like we've only been around for a couple hundred years, a few hundred years, right? This is two thousand years of actually being God's people, of God saying, You are my people. And then after 2,000 years, God just radically changes everything. He says, the Gentiles who were once far off were lost to sin and were not my people. By the blood of Christ, by him washing away their sins, he died on the cross for everyone. So they have been brought near just as you are. So all the hate, all the division, all the wars, all the racism, all the rampant sin of the Gentile culture and between the Jewish and Gentile culture, he said, listen, it's all been wiped away by the blood of Christ. Because that's what Jesus does. He wipes it away. Can we imagine how hard this would have been for the Jews to fully understand? I mean, they could have known it, and a lot of them just rejected it outright. Right? But how, how hard it would have been to wrap your mind around this, and then how hard it would have been for Gentile culture to start becoming holy, to start doing it God's way, because they'd done it radically different for, forever. Can you imagine the difficulty that would have come with this? But it's not just God saying, as I said before, it's not just God saying that the Gentiles now have salvation and they've been forgiven. It's way, way, way more than that. Read in verse 14. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Oh, church, did you wrap your mind around this? Because this is not just about God bringing salvation to the Gentiles, which he did do. It was about him creating an entirely new family. Did you catch that? This is an entirely new family. Listen, a whole new human race of people. The Old Testament, when it talks about the ordinances there, it's talking about the Old Testament law. And hear me, the Old Testament law did keep Gentiles separate from the Jews. Even Jews that wanted to, to, or even Gentiles that wanted to be converted to Judaism, which they could, even in that they were still in a lot of ways by the law kept at a distance. For example, when they came to the temple to worship God, they were kept at a distance. They couldn't get as close as the Jewish people did. There were literal walls that divided them. So Christ came. He came to do away with the line that was between Jew and Gentile and between everyone else, the things that kept them apart. There is no longer Abraham's family, Abraham's family line and everybody else. If we are in Jesus Christ, those walls, those laws, all of those things have been demolished so that we can all be a part of the God's covenant promises to Abraham. We can all be a part of all of those things that God's been promising all through the ages. We are all God's family. We are no longer, honestly, what it's saying is that we're no longer really even different races or different tribes or any other divisions, but in Christ we are one. Now, let me say this. Of course, we have people from different cultures around our world. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't recognize, like I said at the beginning, different cultures are a wonderful thing. In God's beautiful design, different cultures throughout the world all bring their their different and unique things to reflect God's design and to bring God's glory. And that's a great thing. We should see that, and we should celebrate that. We should embrace that. But it doesn't mean that in any way we have to be separate because of that. That there are these walls between us, these imaginary walls. No. This is saying, hey, listen, there is no longer your tribe and my tribe and their tribe. We are no longer meant to be divided by racial lines or any, any other line there is. For in Christ, we are all a new man. It's not meaning like men. It means mankind. It means a new race of people. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. We are a new race under God, his family. Why? Because Christ has brought peace to us. Peace with God. No more wrath. 
peace with God, but also peace among each other despite all of our differences. This is the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches. Despite all of our differences, we are united. But um, can we just be honest about that, though? Does that mean that's going to be easy? Have you ever read what is at times the horror show of the book of Acts? I'm kind of exa- Okay, that's, an, that's hyperbole. It's not a horror show, right? But um, the, first, the, the book of Acts is just basically the story about the early church. Right? In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall and all these Jews get saved. But really, the first eight chapters or so of the book of Acts, out of Acts 29, Acts, the 28 chapters in Acts, the first eight chapters um, are really just about the, the salvation coming to the Jews. But what happens in chapter 9? Salvation comes to the Gentiles. And all the Jews have to realize, oh, wait, we're supposed to be going to them too. Like the head of the church, Peter's like, God's like, like Peter doesn't even really go out and do it on his own. Like God has to give him a vision. He's like, Peter, go, right? And so Peter goes and he's like, they have councils about this. They create all this new things because the Gentiles coming into the church caused huge problems. Lots of difficulty. This is not, in no way is it saying that this is easy. I don't know if you remember this, but if you were with us, do you remember what like the first seven chapters of the book of Romans was about? One, the gospel. But two, within that, you know what one of the major themes was? Paul basically begging the Jews and the Gentiles, listen, you're not that different. I know you come from different cultures. I know there's different things going on, but you are united in Christ. Make Christ the thing, not your differences the thing. The New Testament is begging us not to let our differences separate us. Over and over and over in the New Testament, and we see it in the book of Acts, it doesn't at all say this is easy. This isn't easy, but it's really not that complicated. In our culture, we've made it really complicated, but Scripture does not promise easy. But it doesn't make it that complicated. It seems our society right now is just trying to tell us over and over how totally different we are. Which, hey, listen, in a lot of ways that's true. That's why the New Testament addresses it again and again and again for us, because it's not easy. It's something we have to work for, we have to be diligent about, we have to fight for, we have to be aware of and and actively seek to reconcile between reconcile between each other and reconcile people to God. And listen, I, I'm, I don't want you to hear me today as I say, as I kind of pick on things a little bit like critical race theory and some of the things, if you know those kind of things and all the articles and all the books that are out there. Listen, as I said before, there's some truth in some of those things. There's some truth in some of those things. And, and I don't want you to hear me say either if, if, if you know a lot about this topic. I'm not saying that everything in sociology or psychology or sec, secular books, none of it can be helpful. I'm not saying that. Some of it is helpful. But what, what I've seen over time, even in the church, is these are starting to become the things that even Christians rely in and rely on first. While, while scripture is constantly screaming out at us what the answer is, actually is. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. Jesus has already reconciled the world to himself. Reconcile just means make right. That Jesus already did the reconciling work on the cross so that anyone that would believe in him and faith and make him Lord can and will be reconciled to God. Again, not because of what you have done or not because of what you didn't do, right? You can be reconciled to God. And now we are to be the ministers of that reconciliation and take that message of reconciliation to the world on his behalf. That's who we are. That's who we're meant to be. And reconciliation is not going to come by us being experts on sociological theory. It's about us actually believing what Scripture is telling us, that Christ is enough. That Christ is enough. And that's not an oversimplification, church. That is our rock. That is our foundation. That is our truth. Since when have we felt like the Bible is not enough for us? Since when have we felt like we've got to go out there and find all of these answers way out there instead of just really diving in and holding on to the truth that's there? Again, I'm not knocking all the things that are out there. But those of you that are really passionate about racial reconciliation, can I just challenge you? 
percentage-wise, how much time have you really spent holding on to and studying and meditating over and praying over what God says about reconciliation versus what Facebook says about racial reconciliation? Again, it's not all bad out there. It's not all, like, don't hear that. I know somebody's going to say, like, JC said, all these things are terrible. No! But what do you think would happen if we meditated on this and made this the thing and then we actually went out and did it? That we actually went out and pursued it? I'm going to say this again, honestly, church. I think the answer to racial, racial, racial reconciliation is not as nearly as complicated as we make it. It's very difficult to see it actually come to fruition, but it's not as complicated as we make it. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 2, 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Did you hear that? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, capital S Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I must say this again. We are one family, church. We are one church held up by Christ, the cornerstone himself, the one that everything was made for, the one that everything was made through, the one that upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has made all of us who believe citizens of one kingdom, one race, one household. This is how we fight for true reconciliation, with the gospel. With the gospel, reminding God's church of who we are in him and leading the lost to the only one who can truly bring reconciliation, Jesus Christ. You know, I talked to another pastor. Can I just be honest? I don't have time for this. I'm going to say it anyway. I struggle with what to say this week. There's so much to say. There's so much that we could get into. There's so much division and anger and hate. So many people thinking the other side is just stupid and every theory is stupid. On both sides, going both ways. What, wherever you're coming from, I don't mean black and white. I mean every, every different tribe and pocket that thinks that they have the answer. And so I just reached out to people who I knew were as close to biblical and practical experts on this as I could and just... I studied and studied and studied and Brandon and I talked for a long time and I talked to another pastor. And the reason I called him is that he has been highly involved in, in racial reconciliation in particular in our city for a few years now. In our city. This is not theory. This is not the world out there. This is not our nation trying to choke each other out, right? This is in our city. And he's been highly involved and trying to see racial reconciliation come to our city. And I don't mean he's a social media warrior, which amounts to about nothing. He's met with black leaders. He's met with white leaders. He's met with pastors. He's met with police. He's organized roundtable with people of different colors and from radically different backgrounds. He's been a part of discussions and helped lead discussions among church people, and he's been a part of and helped lead discussions that were organized by people who were not Christians at all, that really weren't talking about Christ in that whole process at all. He has built solid relationships with people that don't look like him, that don't come where he, from where he comes from, and don't think like he does. And he'll tell you it's all been really valuable. But years of investment, trying to help bridge that gap to unity in our community. And after all that time, after all of that effort, do you know really what the main conclusion he's come to? Two things. That most of the things that are cultural, most of the cultural solutions that are being portrayed out there are lies. He's not a political guy. He's just been on the ground. He said, most of them are lies. They don't work. They create division. They create us and them. They create this philosophy in people's minds that we can never be united because we're just too different. His solution, 
unprompted by me. Right? I didn't tell them stories. I was just asking questions. I, I said, what, what's the solution to this? And the solution, he said that almost the exact same thing that my buddy in Dallas said. He said, it's been made so clear to me over time. The only answer is Christ. The only answer that has any hope of reconciling this is the work of Christ. And then his people, the church, being dedicated to that reconciling work. We talked about, he brought up theories, he brought up stuff, he brought up all kinds of things, but he said, like, I wish I had time to tell you. I, I, I can't believe some of the conversations that he had with people that he was trying to love really well, and they were kind to him, but basically it was like, you can never understand me. Like, you just, you just can never know what you don't know, so why, why should we even talk about this? Because there's, there's no way you can know because of this, 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 and this. It's crazy. It's crazy. See, here's the thing in the end. The problem isn't that we don't have the right philosophy. The problem is sin. Have you ever thought about it that way? That, that's the problem. Sin. Sinful, selfish, prideful, fearful people doing it their own way instead of God's way. Whether that's, whether that's racism or just being apathetic, staying in your house and not seeking to bring reconcil rec reconciliation to the world because you're too, you're, you're too afraid to or you're too, you're too comfortable in your own apathy and your own comfort to get out there and actually do the work because it is hard work. This is hard work to see this come. Listen, I hear people, you've seen it too, maybe you've been a part of this argument, that just argue and argue and argue over just, just one thing when it comes to racism. Is there systematic racism? You've seen those arguments? They go on and on and on. And I'm not saying none of these discussions are worth having. Don't hear that. But two sides of many sides, you've seen this, yelling at each other, angry at each other, calling each other stupid or wrong or racist or ignorant or blind or deaf or, man, we could just keep going, couldn't we? Just over this one thing, is there systematic racism? Here's the truth. I'm about, I'm about to blow your mind, but stay with me. Is there systematic racism? Of course there is. Because in our system, there is every kind of sin. Right, just in the last few years, we've seen within the system, like how often sexual abuse has come into, a, into the system and hurt people, right? We've seen the, the sin of greed affect things in our system. People who are greedy, using the system to their own advantage. We've seen people who are hungry from power take advantage of the poor and the needy and everybody else through the system so that they can get what they want. Because in the end, the system's not the problem. For a lot of people, our, our system is the envy of the world. Our system is not the problem. It's the fact that it's run by sinful people. And sinful people, there are sinful people that are racist. There are sinful people that are greedy. There are sinful people that, that man, are abusing people sexually with their power, however else. There are people that are using, man, because of their sin, are using our system to gain more power when they already have a tremendous amount of power. Of course those things are there because it's run by sinful people. There's every sin and everything in between. Church, yes. In the end, this is what it comes down to. Yes, we should and must fight for justice. Yes, we should try to fight for a system that is fair as possible. Yes, we should try to fight for those who are oppressed and marginalized and the needy. Scripture talks about that over 2,100 times. Yes and amen to all of that. Yes and amen. But in the end, why are we putting our faith, our so much of faith in a system that is infested with sin? Because in the end, sin is the problem. There's only one system that we actually have any hope of, of putting our trust and faith in. Do you know what system that is? The kingdom of God. That's the only system that is not infected by sin. That's the only system that doesn't have all of these things because this is primarily a sin problem, not a system problem. And the only perfect system is the kingdom of God that comes through Jesus Christ. You know, I've said in this series so far, biblical love includes truth and, truth and justice, mercy and kindness, and faith, right? It includes more than those things. We saw scripturally defined truth and justice, mercy and kindness, and faith. And I don't want us to get so caught up in the truth of things that we forget that there's actually people involved in this, right? Hear me, this is just, this is just reality. Studies and surveys have shown over and over that the vast majority of black people in our country feel like they are treated differently than the rest of society. 
Listen, hear me. This is like this big controversial statement just saying that. Like, listen, whether you think that is true or not, they do. And listen, it's not a small group. The majority of black people in our country feel like they, at least in some way, are treated differently. Can we not have compassion towards that? No matter your political stance, no matter what you think is right, no matter if you even think that's stupid, I hope you don't. Because how could an entire people group, the vast majority, not like a slight, the majority feel this way. And brothers and sisters in Christ feel this way. So when people are struggling, when they don't understand, even if it's just, I'm not saying it is, but even if it's just an emotional response, we've got to seek to understand. We've got to build relationships, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean we back off of the truth. But it does mean that we need to hear, that we need to listen, that we need to empathize, that we need to love well. Even if we disagree, we need to love well and support our brothers and sisters where we can, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, because they are our family. They're our family. And they feel like something is not right. It doesn't really, in the end, to start off that relationship matter that much at the beginning of your relationship, whether you completely agree with that or not. You can hear and you can listen and you can empathize and you can try to love and then we can get to the truth. But in the end, the truth should be the same for brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is the answer to that. We always, even in those conversations... We always have to end up making about the reconciliation work of Christ. Make it about the gospel. The primary way that reconciliation can come. Otherwise, we're fighting a losing battle. And maybe a battle that's not even worth fighting in the end. Because in the end, we've got to be pointing people to Jesus. Because we can be one. We can be one people in Jesus despite our differences. You know, like, I've had lots of different life groups over the time. And some of my life groups have been very diverse. And I say racially diverse, not as much. A little bit. A little bit. At one time, I used to say we've got the most racially diverse life group in, in our church. Awesome. But when I say it, had, it was diverse, man, we had people from every kind of background. Every age, every background imaginable. People that came from radically different backgrounds came to Christ in radically different ways. And you know what? In the end, you know what we became? Family. Because Christ is bigger than our differences. I just had a conversation the other day with someone who was worried about coming to Life Group and being open and honest because they were just like, man, you don't know my past. And I said this, but I wanted to keep saying it. Man, you wouldn't believe some of the past that you've heard in our Life Group before. You wouldn't believe some of the people that look like pretty Christian people up here. You wouldn't believe the things that they've done and been through. And they didn't even recognize how much difference there was, how similar they were because Christ was enough to make us family. They weren't focused on the differences. They were focused on what unites us all, Jesus Christ, because he's enough. Now, maybe all that's good and true. Let's just, let's just assume everybody's on board with what I've said so far, right? It's, it's all true. It's the answer. What does that mean for our daily lives? How do we actually be the hands and feet of Christ? So as we try to be a part of seeing racial reconciliation come to our world, to our country, to our city, listen, to our neighborhood, how can we actually be involved in a way that's meaningful? Well, again, I asked my buddy this, the urban missionary in Dallas. How can we be a part of reconciliation in a way that might actually matter while being Christ-centered, in a way that might actually make a difference? And I love what he said. This is, not the over, this is not the answer. I'm just giving an example of how we might engage. Because he gave me an answer, and it's not what I expected him to say. I, I actually hadn't even thought about it this way. You know what he said? Love the poor. Would you expect that to be the answer? Love the poor. Do you know why? Because he said, if you love the poor, not only will you be sharing God's heart, because Scripture is just poured out God's love in his heart for the poor. It's just everywhere, again and again. So not only will you be sharing God's own heart, but if you love the poor, you absolutely, absolutely will encounter the marginalized and the needy and the oppressed and those trapped in generational poverty. You will absolutely see the fatherless, the single mom, the minority, and you'll see the need for people who want someone to come alongside them and fight 
with them and for them. And knowing that we're a church, and he knows our church, and he knows that we don't do this, but he said, and don't let your people fall into the trap of trying to throw money at the problem or just hand things out. He's like, that's not going to change anything. We need to do that at times. Right? We need to make sure people aren't starving at times, but he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, no, you got to build relationships, and you got to hear stories, and you got to spend time with those who might not be like you, who might not look like you, and might not have a past that looks like your past. And over time, through those relationships, God will do this beautiful thing of bridging the gap. Of bridging the gap. Through Christ's reconciling work, through sharing the gospel, Christ will bridge those gaps between you. He'll tear down those divisions. He'll rip down those walls and he'll call people into his kingdom. The only thing that has hope of actually reconciling things. Because Christ is enough to unite us. For what this is saying is his peace is more powerful than our differences. And I love that answer. Again, it's not the only answer. It's not the only way forward. But I love that answer. So many people yelling at each other about what is wrong while too many willing to get in and do the hard thing. Doing the work in the early church to bridge the gap between Jew and Gentile was difficult. It's why the New Testament addressed it again and again. But it doesn't mean that the answer to that was complicated. In so many ways, of course, this is a complicated issue. Of course it is. Otherwise, it would have been fully healed a long time ago. But the way forward, the true answer is not that complicated at all. It might not be easy. As I said again, I'm going to say that again and again. It is not easy, but I don't think it's that complicated because God's already given us the answer. So we might not be able to change the world, church. We might not be able to change our country, but we can be involved. We can be involved in bridging the gap in our community. We absolutely can. Let me give you some examples. This, this spring and all the way into the fall, as COVID becomes less and less of a problem, you're going to see opportunities. Opportunities are going to be coming to you. Opportunities in Tom Watkins' neighborhood. Opportunities at John B. Hughes opportunities as Williams Elementary has its grand opening and the new school opens this fall and hopefully COVID won't be a problem and we'll be welcomed back into the school with open arms and we can engage with families that from all over the map that, that we love that, that Paula and, and Denny are seeing all the time engage with these families and build relationships and meaningful ways to bridge all the gaps between us those opportunities are going to come there's opportunities going to become like working with Russ at Elevate Lives, who's seeing families and single moms and all these minorities and all these things coming into his homes so they can, they can man, get a leg up in their life and he can help empower them move forward. Man, there's going to be the opportunity, I think, this summer, I hope we get to have it, of, of Unity on Division, that event, if you, weren't, if you haven't gone in the past, where churches from many different backgrounds, many different races come together in unity and love and say, hey, listen, Christ is enough for us to bridge these gaps. Hey, we might have opportunities this spring through the fall in Knoll, Missouri, where there's a huge immigrant population with the savages. We might have, be able to go there and help bridge the gap with the immigrants. We might have an opportunity in South Dakota with Native Americans of the Sioux tribe, with some former members that are living up there. We might have the opportunity to go and invest there and help them invest there. And listen, we may even have an opportunity as a church to go halfway around the world to preach the gospel in the Middle East. Who do, in the end, who does it feel like as Americans we have more differences then than people who live in the Middle East? We might have, a, have, have the opportunity to go there and take Christ's reconciling work to the Middle East. There are going to be opportunities for us to be ministers of reconciliation, for us to be ambassadors of Christ. The only answer is, are you going to step up and not do the easy thing, but do the hard thing because it's the Christ thing? And we want to lead you well there. None of this is going to be easy. None of this, listen, none of it will be even close to a quick fix. It's just not. But do we want to be known as the church that shouts along with everyone else about how divided we are? About all the problems? Or do we want to be a church that does the hard thing? That does the loving thing? The church that loves people so well? The church that builds bridges? The, the, play, the church that takes the light into dark places in our city that people can't help but notice what we're doing and wonder, want, and wonder why. Do we want to be the city, do we want to be known in the city as a church that 
is actually bringing reconciliation in Christ. I think we can be. I think we should be. Yeah, maybe some of the answers are more complicated than this, but maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't. Maybe it's just going to take some Christians that, that desperately believe these truths, will desperately fight for these truths, and are so filled with Christ's mercy and immeasurable grace that they actually see God's kingdom come and God's will be done. Let's fight together in Christ's name, church. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your grace and mercy because without it, we'd just be lost. We'd just be lost, God. And I'm so thankful for your plan, Jesus. I'm so thankful that you went to that cross. Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful that you empower us to grow and to be sanctified and to grow in the holiness that you've placed inside of us. But help us to grow in those things. God, here's just the reality. I, I felt overwhelmed by all of the things that we're called to engage in and how to engage in in the last few weeks. And I, I'm guessing some people like that feel like that in the room. Like, how can we be involved in all of these things? How can we engage in all these things? So God, as we ask so often, we just ask that you would help. Help us know where to engage. Help us to know where we can invest because we can't do it all. We can't have a million different relationships. We have to pick and we have to choose of what we're going to give our lives to. And so God, I pray that you would convict and stir and move your people to engage where you're calling them to engage. That we wouldn't sit on our hands, we wouldn't sit in these seats, we wouldn't sit at home, but we're willing to step out for the sake of your name, the sake for your gospel, and for the sake of reconciliation. God, I pray for our country. I pray for all the hurt and the pain and the division and the anger and the desperation. God, I'm just praying that you would do what you do because without you, there is, it just feels like there's no hope. And so God, do what you do. Help to bring racial reconciliation in particular today to our nation. But God, I pray you also in our hearts not to give in to the hopelessness of watching what's happening in the nation because you haven't called us to change the nation. Maybe some of us to be involved in that, but most of us, you just called us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So God, help us to be willing to step across the street, to step out of the building, to step into the neighborhood, to step into Williams, to step in wherever, step halfway across the world, wherever you're calling us. Help, God, help us to have the motivation, the desire to go wherever you call. God, help us to believe that you are enough, that your reconciling work is enough. Thank you for these truths in your word, God. Without them, we'd just be absolutely lost. Help us to hold on to them desperately. Help us to long for them. Help us to desire them. And God, I pray that they would transform us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.